Welcome to another Club Sports 10 Bit More podcast. Today I have great pleasure in welcoming Alan Rickwood, a coach, technical director and general manager of Blizzard Soccer Club and who was one of the first coaches that I met in Canada when I worked as a technical coach at Blizzards. It's great pleasure to look back on his insights and reflect on how we can hopefully come through COVID and take sport forward. So anyway, welcome Alan. And the first question I really want to ask is what I have asked everyone so far. Can you describe your childhood sporting experiences? Oh, no problem. It was everything and anything, and it was completely unstructured. I had no organized sport other than school sport uh, as a kid, but every day you get home from school and you're kicking a ball with whoever's there in the neighborhood. Um, If it wasn't uh, soccer, it would be just chasing a ball of, I don't know, uh, it or or whatever you but you'd be doing something every playground break as well at school you, you'd have the football out and you'd be playing and then school sport which is really uh, I mean and in England school sport is or was above club sport uh, yeah. whatever sport your school did you you did so as a junior I was playing football you know twice a week and uh as a nine-year-old, I was in the under-13s, and you know, you just played it. There was no age differential. If you were if you were playing, you were playing. It didn't matter for your age. And then uh, I went to what they call grammar school in England, which is secondary school. And my school was a field hockey school, so I had to pick up a hockey stick, and uh, you know, I played field hockey. So really, my football days were over. I played. I did play for a Sunday team when I was 12, but uh, I was playing field hockey three, four times a week. But every lunchtime, you'd be kicking a football around. And then, you know, as I say, with your mates, when you got home, you'd be down in the park as soon as you'd done your homework. There was no television in those days for the kids' channels or no computer games, so we were outside, uh, you know. It's an interesting... Yeah. It's an interesting one you see there about the field hockey because I know when I coached the university girls' soccer team back home in England, my best player was a field hockey player. She transferred from field hockey into the women's soccer team and she was by far the standout and just transferred the skills over. Uh, they're very transferable. I mean, when we moved to Canada, my wife, who was a field hockey player, started playing uh, soccer here at the age of 41. So, yeah. you know, it, they're, they're transferable and um, it's a very, very fast game. Um, and I played field hockey until I was in my mid-30s. Yeah. And uh, only got back to soccer again when I started coaching as a dad. You know, I, I dabbled with a pub team when I was 18 or 19, as I think everybody in England did, um, but really had to give it up after a season because I was playing too much hockey. Um, it was a sport I got quite good at. And so the better you were, the more you played because I was playing county and divisional and soccer was something I watched and I loved and played with my mates uh, in the park. It's an interesting one that you say about the the school sports superseding junior uh, competitive soccer. I think it's flipped there now in England where school sport has fallen to the wayside and it it reflects a bit like Canada where school sport is there but it's shunned upon by the competitive clubs. So it's a different era when I grew up, but school sports was everything. Um, you, you know, you tried to make the the first eleven in whatever sport was being played in that that term, whether it be hockey or, or, or 
cricket, which I have to say I never really excelled at or, or enjoyed that much. It was too boring. I wanted to run around more. But that was the thing. And yeah, there are a few club teams outside of it, but uh, it, was, it was school sports all the way. So that's interesting, actually, because yeah. that, that would be a conflict, I would think, in, uh, in a lot of things. I feel it's one of the conflicts, certainly with the higher performance players we see here, where clubs and uh, representative teams are saying, you know, stay away from school sports. You've got to focus on this one sport here. And it is totally contrary to certainly most of the people I've done this podcast with have said, no, we've done multi sport. We enjoyed it. We chose the sport we wanted at a later age. I see kids here, um, 12 years old, playing one sport five days a week. And I think how lucky I was experiencing a lot of sports, uh, even at school in phys ed lessons, you know, you play a bit of basketball or a bit of volleyball and, but you got to experience a lot of other things. And um, my biggest worry is physiologically that if they're just doing one sport, all their muscles are not developing. And when I was in a position at Blizzards, I was encouraging people to play school sports. And I know there are some clubs that, do not want their kids to play school sports and I disagree with it vehemently you have to develop all the muscles in your body and uh, otherwise you are just going to um, bring on injury and, and interestingly enough John I was lucky enough about 10 years ago to be a guest of Ajax in Amsterdam one of those silly things you know met somebody who had a contact and knew a contact and, and the end result was I spent a week watching how they trained their youth teams, which was one of the best experiences I've ever had as a coach. But they just stopped their youngest kids. They were cutting down their soccer and they had what they called tumble tots, which was teaching them how to fall over and teaching them just what, what in my day was just like a, a gym lesson. Yeah. And uh, talking to them, they, they were getting injuries in young kids when they were falling over, they were jarring their shoulders or their elbows or their wrists because they didn't know how to fall properly. Whereas I think in previous generations and old people like me, you just ran around outside and you naturally learned how to fall over and protect yourself. And these kids, because they were just playing one sport, did not know how to protect themselves when they were falling. It's an interesting one with understanding of physical literacy. Um, I've seen hockey coaches now teaching children how to glide and get up on their skates really quickly. Whereas yeah. before, like you say, you fall down and, you know, I know when I started trying to skate, when I landed in Canada, I'd be down there for 10 minutes trying to get back up. And it's an important component is how to hit the floor and get back up and get back into your stride again. Uh, so their, their, their view was that, you know, they, they needed to learn how to get up quickly and, and uninjured because they're back in the play as quick as they could as opposed to lying there and then scrambling around on all fours, just trying to get up. Yeah, the game will go by them. A question I've got is, who was the greatest influence on you as either an athlete or a coach? Oh, my goodness, that is a tough one. Um, I don't think there was any one person. Coaching was a little different when I grew up. I used to look up to the older players. So, for argument's sake, at school sport, the kids that were two or three years older than me, I wanted to emulate them. So I... I looked at them playing football uh, again, you know, you'd be having 11 aside, seven aside, 18 aside down the park. It depends yeah. how many people were there and it wouldn't just be kids. It would be men as well. Yeah. So it would just be everybody. And so you would look up to somebody older and they would sort of, you know, teach you or, you know, one of the things that, that I used to do was there used to be a show in England. I'm sure you remember it called the big match, you know, on yeah. a Sunday afternoon or, or match of the day. And, 
I would watch a player do a trick and I would try and then emulate that in the back garden and then in the park the next week and invariably end up on my backside because you know it didn't work but you'd try it and try it again so coaching wise I guess it would be a school teacher who gosh when I was playing field hockey he, he saw potential in me at age 15 and so he was teaching me to actually slow down I was a speedy winger I was I was quite quick and, and he was just teaching me to slow down and concentrate a little bit more on technique of, of stick and ball as opposed to just trying to blast past with one trick. But yeah, that, that, yeah. Would, that would be it. You know. it's, it's an interesting one you say about the, the watching older players and for us, big match, match of the day, because I see so many children now and I say to parent coaches, who is the best coach in the world? And we know it's, at the moment it's Marcelo Bielsa. But even beyond him, <laughs> you know, the one, the one thing that you see a lot of children doing is watching YouTube and yes. they'll, they'll rewind and rewind. They'll see someone perform a, a trick and they'll be out there practicing it. And I've said before that as a, as a younger coach, I would teach children how to pull the rainbow and flip the ball over their head. Nowadays, I can't coach that anymore because they've learned it at a very young age through watching YouTube. So again, you know. People are trying to deter people, uh, children from watching computer games and stuff, but there's some benefits in that. Well, it's just strange you say that. I mean, one of the, the hardest things I find coaching here in Canada is actually getting the kids to watch a game yeah. to see how it works. Whereas I, I know they watch hockey because that is, you know, the sport of the nation. Just as in Europe, it, it's soccer, so every kid watches it. But just trying to get them to watch a game and watch somebody that plays their position, uh, just so they can learn on space or, or they can see something I'm finally getting kids to watch it it's it's almost reluctant and now that I'm I'm at edge school I've been doing some classroom sessions with video and you see the attention span going off after 20-25 minutes it's like it's, it's an interesting one so it's like I say YouTube they'll watch it for about three or four clips uh, in five minutes and then they'll go and replicate it but watch a 90-minute game no, and it's when we've gone on tour, whether it be to England or, or even to Vancouver and you go into a Whitecaps game or even an EPL game and you take the kids and they're all excited with the atmosphere and the songs are going on, especially in Europe and, and it holds their attention. And then you find, you know, oh gosh, the seats are empty. Where have they gone? And they've gone wandering around looking for a burger halfway through the, the game. Yeah. And you're going, no, this is what you've got to watch because you've got a bird's eye view of you can see the whole thing working out in front of you on the game, but the attention span has gone and, you know, they've gone looking in the foyer. Uh, it, is an, it is an interesting one. Even watching, see my son grow up watching a lot of games back home, he was always transfixed to it and saw the big picture. Um, but not, you don't see that here, you know, and that's one of the challenges I feel we've got is how do we get children to really watch the whole game to see the picture and how it evolves. Um, and I, th I think it. I think it's helped. Sorry to, to jump in. Yeah. I think that you know, with um, Alfonso Davis and uh, Jonathan David making it to bigger teams in Europe, I think you're getting younger kids now watching the likes of Bayern Munich to see mm. you know Fonzie play. And I think on the girls' side, now that the uh, women's Premier League from England is being shown on terrestrial TV here. You know, we are getting some of the girls watching that and they can see their, their heroes play, which yeah. they, they didn't get the opportunity before. So, and I think with Fonzie, you know, making the headlines and, and being in the European champions, I think that will help. It is trying to create those role models, you're right, from home. I mean, next question I've got is, what do you think is the greatest challenge facing sport coming out of COVID? Obviously, 
No one can look into that crystal ball. I keep getting asked when sport coming back and we don't know, but what is the greatest challenge you foresee coming out? Oh, this is going to be controversial. It's, it's, I like being, that. it's being sensible. There is a pandemic going around the world, which happens once every now and again. Um, you know, you, you've got uh, factions that say it's all, it's, it's all a press and it's a lie and it, it's not there, but you, you see the numbers going up in hospital. I think the biggest challenge is being sensible, looking after the health ahead of greed. And I mean that in both individuals and associations. So putting the brakes on when you need to and coming out slowly when uh, there is a break in the pandemic. I actually think that the break this summer where there was no real organized sport was actually fairly good because people got off the treadmill of, oh, I must go to organized sport, whether it be soccer whether it be hockey or i must be an organized sport because that's what the neighbors do so i must do it and i think families started being families again and did a little bit of hiking you saw many more kids in the pathways on their bikes or just playing yeah. you know just being kids as i call it and i know that makes me sound very old which i am but they were just playing and i think with the organized sport here in calgary i think some people are playing it because they've got on it uh, and they don't want to get off because this is what the Joneses do. And I think play whatever sport you want to play because you love it and you really want to play it, not because you feel you have to play it. And, and my biggest worry, though, is is the greed of money talking. And, you know, we've got to play these games because, you know, we have to keep the association going. So, you know, let, but let's not put kids health at risk. Yeah, I see the, the, the struggle with clubs and sports organizations who need the games going in order to maintain some income for themselves to keep operating. But I, 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 admit, I, I love that sense of freedom that children have had. I said in a recent podcast, you know, there's, there's 10-year-old girls going out doing four or five soccer sessions a week. Are they really enjoying it? And is it maybe a chance to try a different sport as well? Again, I reflected that. I always played football because that was what we did. But really looking into myself, uh, for my own personality, triathlon was a sport or an individual sport was what I've excelled at. So are we just following the, the lay of the road because everyone else does it? And is there a better sport suited for your child? Well, I mean, and I agree with that entirely. I mean, age 10 or 11, I thought I was always going to be a footballer because that was the sport I played and mm. you know, I was relatively good. I went to a field hockey school and actually found I was actually probably better at field hockey and, and climbed the levels there fairly rapidly. And I was also a tennis player, you know, yeah. and I played a lot of tennis until, you know, this was wooden racket time, mind you. And then the metal <laughs> rackets and the uh, beer moths who were six foot six came with their, their big sweet spot. And that was the end of me as a tennis player. But, yeah. you know, you, I, I think you've got to try loads of sports. And even now, I, I love playing a new sport. And I don't laugh when I was in London working there because I, I worked in, in business. You know, I took up lawn bowls, which I loved. You know, just, <laughs> just any sport, I, I'll play it. We used to do that at Middlesbrough. All the football coaches used to go and play lawn bowls just as a, to, to download and just relax, get away from soccer for a little while, you know. Um, so quickly, how would you say your coaching style has changed over the years? I know looking back, mine has changed dramatically. Oh, yeah. What has been the major differences for you? And really to reflect back on any new coaches coming in on how they may accelerate their development. So what are the I'm far more patient now 
when I was when I started coaching because before I coached soccer I also coached tennis and I coached hockey field hockey so th those two sports I coached first and, and got some sort of coaching badges in that so I'd always coached and, and even in big business I was somebody that mentored others so I when I got into competitive sport coaching as it were especially when I was still playing I was a player coach I was coaching because to win you know I it doesn't matter about the individual development of yeah. Charlie on the left wing or something. We're coaching to win. We're playing in a big league here. These days, coaching kids, I am far more patient, and it is about the individual development of players within a team environment and not worried about whether we've won 3-2 or 3-1. I, I know this sounds crazy. I really don't care about the end result. You know, that, that's very short-termism. I'm looking. As a coach now of children in Calgary, I am far happier if someone I've coached is still playing when they go into the adult game, as opposed to whether we won a, a tin medal that's got some gold paint on it or some silver paint on it. That yeah. really, I, that does not float my boat at all. I am a competitive person as a player. I hate losing. But as a coach, I want to keep kids in the sport and making sure they enjoy it. So it's a process over the outcome. How do we relay that message to the parents who've got their children there? And like you say, they're in, they're, in the, they're in the academies four times a week now. They're hoping to get ahead of the curve and they've got this trailblazer called Alfonso Davis and their child is going to be that next star. This is my constant challenge is how do we relay that message about process over outcome, long-term participation and in actually seeing the children enjoy it rather than get a frown because they've lost. Well, when I was um, general manager at Blizzards, I came up with a phrase that the kids must develop in a fun environment. If it's not fun, why would they want to come back? But on reflection, it's not necessarily the kids. It, it's you, you've got to make it. You've got to make sure that the parents see it's fun, and you've got to make sure that the message gets across to the parents that we're coaching their kids to help them develop as people uh, as much as anything else, and and to enjoy a sport. Um, I once had a phone call in that role from somebody who said, uh, you know, are you the right club to come to to get a sports scholarship? Okay. And uh, it's, well, how old is your child? Uh, oh, he's just turning nine. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. First of all, there's nine, ten years to go before you get to that stage. Who knows whether this is the sport for him? He's got to have fun and enjoy it. And I would say to parents, do not put pressure on the kids that they feel they must go or they feel they must win. Just go out and enjoy, have some fun. And winning is a byproduct of having fun and coaching, you know, being coached in a, in a good environment. Yeah. Um, it's, I used to get this, you know, what is a measure of success? And you talk to somebody and, well, our club, we, we got four, 14 gold medals, five silvers. I had a fantastic board at Blizzards and I've convinced them that, you know, the biggest measure of success is retention of players and players that graduate out of the junior club at 18 and are still playing going into the adult leagues. Absolutely. That, to me, is 100% a bigger success than, as I say, getting a painted tin medal at the end yeah. of the season. Well, one of the biggest issues that I cannot stand in junior sport here is you get the competitive coach that has a squad of 20 people 
which means Niner hardly ever playing. He will only, or she will only ever play 13, 14 players because we've got to get the three points. It's important. Yeah. So then they wonder why the gap develops between their top, you know, 12, 13 players and those yeah. that never get a chance to play. And I would say to a parent, if your kid is at a club like that and they're number 17 on the roster, either say, oh, please, can we move down a tier so we get to play or change clubs? Yeah, and I've likened it again. Um, it's, it's like headhunting for business. Uh, uh, my advice to a lot of parents is don't always look at the club and what they've achieved. Look at the coach who's going to actually coach your child. Does your child actually connect to them and does the coach connect to your child? If they do, then that's the place. Rather than going to the successful club where maybe there's no connection, but they win. And again, it's, it's that message and trying to relay that to as many parents as possible. 100%. And I've actually just had that very similar conversation only last week with some girls who are looking to apply to university to play. And I've said, first of all, you know, work out what you want to study, what yeah. universities do that, then look at the coach and the coaching style. Because you want to play, you know, for the next four or five years, if you can, or, or to develop with that squad, you've got to be comfortable with the coach. If, if he or she doesn't coach to a style that you like, you know, yeah. there might be somewhere else. And the way I see it is that we're lifestyle coaches that happen to be coaching soccer as a sport. Yeah. We, if we're with youth, doesn't matter what sport we are, we're trying to help them get through this stage of life. Yeah. And most of the kids that I coach are in their teens and uh, it's just helping them through that very awkward period. And so I think we're, we're lifestyle coaches that happen to be involved in the sport. So I'm no different to a hockey coach or a volleyball coach. Yeah, that's a great message. And yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, what was the great... So looking back on success then, and I'm intrigued at this, what was your? What would you say is your greatest success in your coaching career? Cool. That is a tough one. There are, I think, many good memories and successes. Yeah. But my, my greatest success, if I'm brutally honest is having ex-players still have me on their phones to call for advice. Yeah. So I have kids now in their late 20s. I have kids that I finished coaching last year that feel confident enough to give me a call uh, and ask for you know, a lifestyle advice. Yeah. Um, so that to me is my greatest success, is that I've still got people that have confidence in me to seek my advice or to ask you know, for me to write a reference for a job or a university. So I would say that if, if you put it down to, to games and, and teams, each team has different memories. I've just finished coaching a, a young girls team and when I took them over, they were the alleged weakest team in tier one. And when we left, they'd just gone to provincial finals. And it was just a question of, you know, they always had talent, but it was a question of trying to put it all together. Yeah. That was fun. I, I took a boys team to England and we were the first Canadian team to ever win the Arsenal International Tournament. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the results and stuff. It was the journey that, that took you there. There's no particular game. I would say it's the individual success of still being viewed as somebody that can be relied on to give advice. Excellent. No, I love that. And again, it, quite often it's the experiences outside the white lines that make that team. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's um, any fool can put 11 players on the field to kick a ball in the right direction. It's yeah. actually getting that team to bond and to want to play for each other. 
which, which gets you that extra five ten percent that will actually bring you success yeah absolutely and and again they're the coaches that all make that impact and that change so looking at that in terms of your coaching what was the greatest challenge you had to overcome in your development and why and how did it impact you as a soccer coach i, I would say my journey as a soccer coach I, i'm Alan is an anagram of anal, so I'm a fairly anal character. <laughs> and when I started, can I say that? Yeah, yeah you could say that. That's all good. <laughs> when I started coaching soccer, I'd already coached tennis. I'd already coached field hockey. And I started coaching when my son started playing the under seven Crookham Rovers back when we lived in England. And because I'm this anal character, I thought I understood the game because I've watched it. I've grown yeah. up with it. But I wanted to take a, a badge just to make sure that I knew what I was doing. I really enjoyed it, so I took another badge. And by the time we'd moved to Canada, you know, I was now coaching under 10s. I'd gone up from under 7s to under 10s, but I had what was then known as uh, my UEFA B license. Yeah. So I'd gone on to, to sort of coach because I, I enjoyed learning about how to coach or you know, some of the drills, because not having grown up as a, you know, with a soccer team, it was trying to find out those soccer drills because hockey drills don't necessarily work in that. Um, so when I first came here, I was coaching as a, just a, a volunteer coach and got approached by a club in the Northwest Blizzards through the Calgary Storm, who were the pro club at the time, to become the technical director. And because I had a badge and because I coached, and I think, when I first got that job, I, I, I wondered, God, am I a fraud because I haven't played the game, you know, yeah. and here I am coaching. And I think my biggest um, challenge was having confidence in myself to actually coach a sport that I hadn't played at a high level. Because yeah. all the other sports I'd coached, I'd coached at a high level. Yes, I had this badge. Yeah. But I was now coaching. I was actually now for the first time in my life being paid to coach. Yeah. And, you know, I hadn't played. And... It probably took a year or two and you know then you realize that actually yeah it, it's okay that was probably the biggest challenge i had so one of the keys coming out of that is that it's not so much what you coach the sport you coach but the coaching skills the art of coaching that is yeah. key more than the actual sport 100 percent. they're yeah. all transferable skills and as i say i'd, I'd coach to other sports and uh, in big business I'd, I'd run some fairly big teams who are mentoring you know university graduates so again it's those lifestyle skills yeah um but i think it was just that oh god i got, I got to coach a technique now that you know i, I did i stopped playing at 12 13 yeah. you know yeah. i didn't have time so and it was just getting that confidence to do that and so yeah that, one of the messages that i keep trying to give out is you know, don't coach the sport, coach the players. Yes. And I think if coaches realize that, and I still see lots of young coaches coming into the sport and they've got the team lined up in their formations and they're giving them specific instructions and the kid's gone somewhere else. His focus is, is gone. It's, it's no longer attached because the coach is talking above them on the sport and not to them at their level. So I, I, I agree entirely. And, and one of the biggest things I see with... Uh, you get lots of enthusiastic coaches, amateur coaches, um, but but you get them trying to think they're Sir Alex Ferguson coaching under thirteen. <laughs> it's just like no, just just let the kids have fun. They really have no interest in your four four two or your four two three one. They 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 want to get out and play and coach the kids. And yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges we get here is you get some coaches that are trying to coach tactics before the kids have the techniques to understand the tactics. 
it's an interesting one because I'm seeing some more senior coaches. You know, there's a couple of people I'm thinking of within the province. And when I first saw them coaching in provincial games a few years ago, they were that totally that tactician game coach. And they've, they've all evolved now into this personal coach. And they're, they're linking to children and they've become grassroots coaches opposed to competitive coaches because they've realized that's where the journey starts. And, and that's where the real meat for change is, not in coaching our formation, like you say. So in terms of linking to athletes, what mental skills do you incorporate within your coaching and what, which, which ones and how do you deliver those? I think when you have a squad of players, so as a team coach, you get them for a year or whatever. I think, first of all, you've got to give every player confidence. You have to understand those players. You've got to understand a little bit about them. or You've got to learn a little bit about their family, their background. You've got to show them that you are prepared to listen to them and have an interest in them. You are not just there to coach. You need to understand them because every one of those 15, 16 kids is different, has a different situation at home, has a different situation at work, has different siblings, whatever. Their circumstances are different. And you have to make sure that every single one of them feels wanted and loved by you and that you understand you know, various issues. So for argument's sake, you might have one who has a dad that's played soccer and is desperate for his child to, yeah. to achieve things that maybe he didn't and then gets really frustrated that they're going through a growth spurt and they can't do what they did, you know, last month yeah. or two months ago. And you've got to, to make sure that those kids have confidence. Um, I like to set challenges and questions to the kids so that they are working out the answer for themselves. It, it's just so that they feel good in themselves. They're not being told what to do. They're working out the issues and, and therefore they're feeling good in themselves and just giving every kid uh, an opportunity to, to feel good in themselves and confident. And if they have an issue, just you know, talk to me, Let, let's have a chat whether it's on the phone or whether it's at a session and uh, you know, your assistant takes the, the, the rest of the group for five, 10 minutes and they can blurt their heart out to you. And yeah. It's an interesting one because I know, you know when we tell someone, they'll probably forget it. And when they consider it themselves and walk through it themselves, it will stick longer. And I know you've referred a couple of players to me in the past and it's been great just talking to one, of the, to one or two of them. I know one she realized that maybe soccer wasn't for her. Um, at the time she saw me, she was gunning for university scholarships and we, we talked through it. And whether it was right or wrong, we explored what her inner thoughts were and feelings. And she figured out she wanted to go down that other route, which is, is great that she can explore that. It takes great skill and a coach in sort of recognizing that and then referring her to someone who can support them. Because again, I think... Uh, um, Something that delays coaches or holds coaches back is they feel that they've got to be the font of all knowledge and they don't like to seek that outside school, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's so true. And, um, you know, so, something that frustrates the living daylights out of me is watch, watching youth sport here, seeing kids berated on the field by a coach because they've made a mistake. And making a mistake is, is how you learn. I mean, I was coaching an under-13 team and I said, we never lose. We either win a game or, or we've learned lots. You know, you, you never lose. You, you're always, you're always yeah. learning. And, you know, they, they used to get confused by me because sometimes I'd be happy with them when they'd lost a the game because we'd played really well. But 
you know, bounce of the ball didn't go away. It's sports, like you don't win everything. In other games where you've battered a team, but we've played badly. Yeah, yeah but we won 6 no. Yeah, but You played better last <laughs> week when you lost 2-1. That was much better. So again, it's even looking at those um, goals within your own performance and your own criteria, setting your standards and adhering to those. Next question is, what advice would you give then to, I think you've alluded to it earlier, um, to a parent who's just getting their child involved in a sports program? <laughs> um, first of all, make sure that your child is enjoying the sport and wants to play that sport. They're not playing soccer because mum and dad both played at university, you know, when really their full love is volleyball or hoverboarding or whatever it may be. Make sure your child really does want to play the sport. Let the coaches coach. And as a parent, just give encouragement and praise. Don't be that parent that gets in the car and says, well, in the 12th minute, you, you really missed an opportunity. You should have had three goals today. You know that, don't you? You know, don't be that parent. I loved you watching know. you play. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, that was great. You know, I loved what, watching you yeah. play. It was, it was brilliant. It, it's, it's strange. When I grew up, my parents used to drop me and then I'd yeah. get the bus home or get picked up later. And then I'd get asked, did you have fun today? Yeah, it was great. Oh, good. It was, yeah. I think the only time they ever watched me was when I got up to playing county and divisional and they thought, oh, I might go along and have a look. So, it, is a, it is an interesting one because, again, I, I've, I met John O'Sullivan um, from Changing the Game Project and I, he made us reflect. And my parents never saw me play or even practice or anything in sport. They, they just were never there. And when I look at it now, there's so many parents who feel obliged. In order to be a good parent, they must be at every practice, every game and give feedback to the coach and ask questions. And I'm like, we never had that support network. It was out in the field and we, we either learn um, and move on or we struggle and we work our way through it and that's one of the biggest changes that I think I've seen in, in I see in sport nowadays I'm not sure mm. what it's like in England but certainly in Canada you know you'll see coaches who come off the field and they're approached by a parent to ask for feedback on their child straight away and I liken it to school you know do parents go into school after every day and ask each teacher what their child can do but in sport they feel they, they got a right to do that and instead of just letting the child go and explore and develop um it's just so true it's it's you know at school if you didn't make the first 11 you go home upset and you know but, but there'd never be a phone call saying oh you know why why has he been dropped it would be up to you to sort it out i mean the other thing that drives me nuts here is um you know little johnny i'll give you five dollars for every goal you score mm. you know <laughs> no yeah <laughs> don't do that just 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 let him enjoy it let 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 the parents Sorry, let the coaches coach yeah. and you as a parent just say, I enjoyed the game today. Um, you know, well done. And, and that was it. a lesson. Yeah, that was a lesson I had to learn. And I know watching my son now play as an adult, I've quite often gone along and just sat on the bleachers and the boys he's playing with, we coached with him when he was younger. And I just watched the game and they're looking for feedback from me and they, they come off the field and they're like, what did you think? And I'm like, do you want to know as a parent or as a coach? Yeah. <laughs> totally oh, different answer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one hundred percent. It's you know my lad still plays. My oldest lady still plays men's, and not this summer, obviously, because of COVID. But some before I saw a couple of games, and I get a phone call afterwards, and you know say you know what did you see? And as you say, it's you know it's well, what what side do you want? Do you want the coach or the parent? And um, uh, you know at this age, he's he's after tips. You know as a as a coach, you know. Yeah. But. Uh, 
I, I see 11 year olds walk into the car with mum or dad telling them what they should have done. And it's like, no, don't, don't be that parent. And you just see the head drop. Yeah, the head's dropped. And that's yeah. when they're going to lose their enjoyment of the game because they then end up, or, or the, the child that makes a pass, and instead of going to see on the field where I should go next, looks at the sidelines to get the yeah. nod of approval from the parent. Yeah. yeah. Don't one be that parent. One of the strategies that a lot of the boys I know at Middlesbrough in the academy used to do was uh, they'd put the headphones on as soon as they got in the car and said, Dad, I'm tired, just to block everything out. Let me just relax. Because yeah. they were playing a high level. Everyone was giving the, the children feedback because they were going to be the next Juninho at Middlesbrough. And it was like, just let me think about it myself. Quickly then, one of the most positive changes you've seen within coaching over the last couple of years, what would you say is the biggest change in a positive manner? Biggest change, I think that there's less of a dictator style coming through. And mm. I think from the courses that people like ASA and Canada Soccer are doing, it's more guided discovery and Q&A style. Whereas when I started coaching, you had the dictator style coaching that was, this is what you do. Yeah. Um, but the best thing, the most encouraging thing is I'm seeing more youth get involved in coaching and coaching, you know, the, the young grassroots, the sort of under fours, under fives. And we're seeing more players staying in the game. And whilst they're still playing adults as 19, 20, you're, you're getting them now uh, starting with the grassroots. And now our biggest challenge is to keep them in the game to start coaching the teens now because we still need young coaches we're getting more in the game, but we now to need, need to keep them in the game. So they're going to need that mentorship and support. I know when 100%, I started... 100%, yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, without getting on the sexist trail, we need so many more female coaches. I don't know why we don't get... It. We get dads stepping up, but not nearly as many mums. I'd like to see more females coaching. And I'd like to see, as say, the, the, the kids that are getting into coaching. I, I know a lot of clubs... Um, are now getting the, the, the young teenagers coaching the youngsters and I'd like to yeah. see them continue their coaching journey, being given support by the clubs, by the provincial associations yeah. and staying in the game because that's the future of the game. I know, when, again, I'm, I'm addressing and bringing in the standards of na the national standards from Canada Soccer and they are all requirements. There must be a developmental pathway for youth players through to senior yeah. and there must be more women coming into sport. So, Again, clubs are going to be obliged to support and ensure that female coaches are qualified to coach at the level that's required. Quickly then, the last question. One change you would like to see in sport when we come out of COVID, if you had a magic wand, what is the one thing that you would change? Less politics, less bureaucracy, more enjoyment. So focus on the, the <laughs> yeah, cut out the business side of it and focus on the essence of why and how. Just get out there and play the game for the joy of it. And it doesn't matter what sport you're playing. Get out, run around, have fun. Uh, I, I do think that the sport, whilst it's good that we have a lot of structured sport, I think there is in many ways too much structured sport and you don't see enough kids just going down the park. Last summer when there was no organised sport to go to, my park down here in Tuscany was full of kids just playing frisbee, kicking a ball, throwing a ball. And I think we need to go back to just getting kids out you know, on their bikes. The bike paths were full of bikes. I mean, all yeah. the bike shops run out of bikes. Just go out, have fun. Don't play sport because Sally Jones next door plays soccer. Do what you want to do and enjoy it. Yeah. And from the business side of it, we, we've got to 
you know, have less bureaucracy and less politics and, and, you know, let the kids play. I know that's a great message that a few people said, and it's the inclusion, accessibility and inclusion. So we encourage more and more people to come in and play the sport. I know, you know, we talk all the time about Alfonso Davis, but the first program he played in was free footy in Edmonton, which offered mm-hmm. free access to all children. And as a, a new refugee in Edmonton, he needed that outlet to go and just play. Not having that structure at an early age has probably helped him get to where he is. And we have some, I mean, there's some great programs here in Calgary as well that help in the, uh, the less privileged areas. And yeah. uh, it, it's just get everyone out and, and play. Yeah, let them find their own passion. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for that today, Alan. Uh, your time and certainly your passion with Blizzard Soccer Club and now the Edge School. I wish you every success in the coming year and hopefully we can see the brighter side of COVID soon. Okay, mate. Thanks a lot, John. All right, cheers. Take care, bye. So again, I thank Alan for his insights today and also reflecting on the important essence that maybe we get as we mature as coaches, but keeping sport fun and offering lots of multi-sport opportunities for children at a young age. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and please let me know if you've got any athletes or coaches that you'd like to see featured here. Then in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the last few days of fall before the snow really does come back again. Stay safe, stay warm and stay active.